0: You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to this live recording of The Good GP podcast. You've listened to us on your devices. Now you get to see the faces behind the voices. Um, I'm Christina, Sean Stevens and Tim Coe. We are the hosts of The Good GP. Um, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands upon which This conference is being held, the Wurundjeri people of the East Kulin Nation and um, acknowledge Elders past, present and emerging. So without further ado, and I am joined by Dr. James Best. Thank you, James, for coming along and agreeing to be here today. You probably don't need much of an introduction because you will be known to a lot of people in the audience, um, but James is a New South Wales-based GP. It is so great to always have GPs interviewed on this podcast. James has a special interest in paediatrics and specifically autism um, and has personal experience with this as well with his son, Sam, who he's lived that journey with. Amongst many other hats, James is also the uh, chair of the RACGP specific interest group, Child and Young People's Health. So thanks, James, for joining me today. Thank you. Now, I wanted to start off asking you about what is autism um, and how we're speaking about autism specifically in childhood in the paediatric population. So how might this present in childhood to a GP?
1: Well, what is autism? I suppose um, people have got a vague idea. I think what, I think Rain Man or, or Sheldon or something like that and other characters on TV shows and movies and, and books as well. Um, but when you're actually to define it, and it has been defined in different ways over the years, but my, my most current definition is you have deficits in social and communication skills, which very much overlap, and then you have restricted interests and narrow uh, focused, uh, fixed uh, interests or obsessions, uh, what autistic people like to refer to as their passions, and there's also you have this uh, sensory issues as well, either being hypo or hypersensitive to any of the five senses. So these are very broad strokes, and so there's this saying that if you've seen one person with autism, you've seen one person with autism. So because it could present in thousands of ways. And it can also, in terms of level of function, it can be the university professor right through to the nonverbal uh, person needing 24-7 care for the rest of their life. So um, it is a, a very broad spectrum in terms of the way it presents. And, and when you're in general practice and you have someone come in and t- what you're asking about, how does it come in and how does it present? Most of the time, it's already been diagnosed or, or it's already been thought of, but if it hasn't, and this can often happen in high functioning individuals who've never got their diagnosis, including into adulthood. Um, yeah, but just, let's just talk about a young child that comes in where there might be concerns. Now those concerns can come from a whole range of directions. It could be a speech therapist or a parent or a grandparent or a relative, or, or maybe the doctor themselves is thinking, hello, what's going on here? Is there, is there some sort of issue? And um, and, uh, and adults actually can be themselves as well uh, with increasing awareness. Or it might be that a child has a diagnosis and you, you look to dad or mum. And, um, and uh, so, so it can come from a whole variety of directions. And uh, there is a moment where that little light bulb goes off, and it might be before the person comes into the surgery, usually is, uh, where someone's going, uh, is there an issue? You know, he's, he's this age, he's not speaking as much as we would expect. I say he, it's not obviously... There's um, girls and women with autism as well, and that's a big topic in itself at the moment, of the um, masking that females are better at doing. So, yeah, it becomes a light bulb moment where you go, is there an issue? And that can be a very confronting moment to deal with as a GP, Uh, whether it's autism or developmental delay or any sort of developmental concern. It's a little bit of a hand grenade. And, um, And so because if you say to a parent or a carer, uh, I think that there are, I have concerns about your child's development. Uh, that is like, whoa, and, um, and it's, it usually means that there's a very big discussion to follow and a lot of stuff to do in terms of assessment. And so often it is better to say uh, what's the model that's called the identification visit, where you identify a major potentially chronic issue uh, that you then say, okay, I'm just identifying, I'm just orientating vaguely to it, but we need to get a long appointment, come back, bring your partner uh, or whoever else you need to bring, and we're going to have a good chat so that both the doctor and the parent or carer is ready for that. As soon as you mention the A word, they're Googling, and they will know an enormous amount of information about autism by the next time you see them. And and sometimes it will be the wrong information. So that is where the GP comes in.
0: You know, you talk about the hand grenade... Moment, and I guess for us as GPs being equipped to manage that hand grenade, how do we actually approach that consult? Because it can be, it can really put us out of our comfort zone a little bit as GPs, especially if there's not as much experience in that particular area. Yeah you know, can kind of catch us a little by surprise. So, you know, having a general approach, what would you suggest in terms of when a concern around ASD is raised? Well, I think
1: that it comes back to first principles of general practice. Whether, you know, it's the same as if you're diagnosing someone with diabetes or cancer or anything else. Um, First of all, you should be doing a proper assessment. And um, so, you know, you're going to go through the, the history properly. You're going to go through the developmental assessment properly. Things like weight and height and all this sort of stuff. It's not just, I'm just going to write a referral to a pediatrician um it it, you do your job and you assess them properly um and we'll get to management in a sec but in terms of the diagnostic process also understanding that if there is if you are going to go down that path if you have a concern refer you should be refer and refer early do not say come back in six months and we'll see how we go uh and that's what happens all the time so because there is nothing worse than finding out three years after you first raised a concern that there was an issue and, hey, we missed out on three years of intensive early intervention. And that's what often will drive people away from medicine. Uh, they'll go to complementary and alternative medicine approaches, uh, CAM sort of approaches, because they're that angry with what you know, medicine just has let me down. And so the diagnostic process is this often very quite traumatic experience that can go on for months, sometimes even a year or two. Uh, where you're seeing this person and this person and this person, you're spending money, and the, the child's behaviour is getting worse, and and the because uh, autism tends to get bigger, <laughs> and um, and and so you're going through this, and maybe mum and dad, uh, if there's mum and dad around, maybe mum and dad are reacting to it differently emotionally, and everyone's pointing out what your child can't do, which can be a pretty emotionally confronting, and um, and so understanding that they're going through this. The GP themselves is usually quite peripheral to all this. We don't have the skills of developmental paediatricians or speech therapists or psychologists to do the long reports that we see coming back. Um, uh, But understanding that this process is difficult and and expensive and challenging and that you are there to help them go through it. You're there to guide them, not as an expert in autism, but as an expert in general practice in the health system. And um, this is what's going to happen. This is where it's going to go. This is what it might feel like. Um, By the way, let's talk about diet and vaccinations and how are you going, mum and dad, and, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff, all the good GP stuff. (laughs) Um, And so that's what happens with the diagnostic process.
0: But it can be very traumatic. Yeah, it can be. I think, you know, for GPs, knowing... Because um, it can be challenging when the parents coming in with a, this question mark, and they've maybe done their own Google research, and they you know, and, they, and they come in kind of really wanting kind of you to, to conf- make a confirmation or exclude. Um, it can be really hard when we're really not in the position to be able to no, do that. And so taking they? that step back and and saying, well, let's start the process, let's start the journey, um, but also knowing what we can do as GPs, because it can be a long, frustrating process for some of these patients, can't You know, like especially in public system and maybe, you yeah. know, got long wait lists to get in to see a developmental pediatrician or even to access Allied Health. So you know, having some steps along the way and ways that we can support families through that, you know, those initial stages. And, and you're, also, you're also
1: advocating. So, so you know, you're, you're finding the paediatrician appointment a bit quicker because you know that mum and dad are going to be freaking out. Mm. You're, 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 you're getting the assessments done, maybe like hearing or whatever, done as, as, a, as a prelude.
0: Yeah. You're making
1: their path as easy as possible. Um, we don't do the diagnosing, mm. but we, do, we, help, we help the diagnostic process.
0: And then how can we be preparing parents or guardians and children in terms of that diagnostic process? What can we be telling them about that process and what they can expect from that? Well, I, well, I,
1: I think that that's what you're sort of cutting a path for them mm. and saying, letting them know, that because they don't know, they've got no idea what they're in for. And sometimes it might be just one visit to the pediatrician, the diagnosis is clear, they don't need to see a multidisciplinary team. And that's, so it's maybe not that involved or long, but sometimes it is. So um, And also directing them to the right resources as well because they can up read everything. So, you know, what are the reliable uh, resources on, online or whatever?
0: Are there any screening tools we can be using in, in our general practice setting, like whilst we're waiting for um, um, other input?
1: Yeah, you certainly, I mean, even in general developmental screening tools like the Denver Developmental Screening Tool, um, you can use, um, um, there are some autism-specific screening tools like MCHAT. There's also a new one that's coming out from... Monash, which is um, designed for parents as a, sc- a screening tool, not a diagnostic tool, um, uh, which is um, AS Detect. You can Google it and have a look at the very illuminating videos of autistic versus non-autistic children um, on that web- publicly available website. Uh, but really, at the end of the day, we're more getting the ball rolling. Yeah. And you can, you know, screening tools can be useful. But, and I think the, most, the best screening tool uh, that every GP in Australia should be doing is they should be just thinking about it, thinking and asking at 12, 18 months, 24 months. If a child comes in for a, their 18-month shots, you should be doing a development oh, for any time. You should be doing a developmental assessment, just very brief. How's gross motor? How's biomotor? How's speech communication? How's social? Um, you know, that's, that's good paediatric general practice. As, as growth and development, we should be monitoring that. And when we've got concerns, we, look, we check it out properly.
0: For being proactive. So, in terms of then, James, the ongoing management for ASD and what is the role of the GP in this? You know, are we just handing it all over to the <sighs> allied health and the, no. and the specialist paediatrician or No, you absolutely know, do, not. Oh, should we first of, be all, involved?
1: first of all, uh, autism is not usually the problem, uh, it's not the thing that holds you back. The average number of uh, uh, co diagnoses is four to five, and it's the anxiety, it's the ADHD. It's the, it's the depression, um, it's, it's OCD, it's, it's all of these other issues that are... Co- every, basically, every mental health diagnosis is more common, more prevalent in the autistic community um, population than it is in the non-autistic population, every single one. So understanding that it's that stuff that we can help, but also there's all this other... And this is what I love to talk to GPs about in terms of autism. It's not about the autism... It's about the stuff that goes with autism. It's they had maybe uh, dietary issues because of sensory stuff, or maybe the parents might even have them on a diet because there are special restricted diets that have limited evidence basis of, of efficacy, but they're often on restricted diets. Their teeth, they're grinding, or they they've got a high sugar uh, diets, so or they can't clean them because they can't they're, they're brushing. Um, they often need a, a general anaesthetic about the age of seven or eight for a big dental worker. They're more prone to trauma. Safety. They will bolt. Um, there's a, a, in the United States, an autistic a child drowns on average once a week. Um, so big deal. Yeah. Um, uh, there's loads of stuff. Um, what else is happening in the family? What is happening with other siblings? How mum and dad getting along? Is dad drinking? Is mum drinking? You know, what's happening financially? So you're looking after the family with family doctors. But all this stuff, autistic children and adults, have these other issues that go with it. So if you're socially isolated, especially in COVID, the, um, you know, that, that has all these flow-on effects. So, so that's what I like to talk to GPs about. That's the way you manage autism.
0: Thanks, James. In terms of resources, if GPs are wanting to get on, have a look at how they can be involved, what makes up the diagnosis, the management, you know, and patient-looking resources as well that they can use to support their patients. Have you got some recommendations from that perspective? Yes. Um,
1: In terms of autism itself, um, my websites that I would tell people to go to would be Autism Awareness, um, which is also linked to another website called Autism What's Next, uh, particularly for adults. Um, uh the um, that tells you a bit about autism what supports are out there and it's and it's it's well set up in terms of linking with reliable evidence-based approaches uh, there is also um, uh, on the um, raising children Network there's a very good tab on autism that's once again um, proper stuff you know evidence-based stuff that's um, uh, developed by pediatricians um the uh, there is also a book that I must make a disclosure that my wife's the co-author of um, <laughs> called the Australian Autism Handbook that's actually coming out for its, fourth edition again next month. Um, So that's a really good one to direct parents to. I don't think GPs necessarily need to go and read a whole book about autism, but the parents will want to. And um, so that's the resources I'd
0: nominate. Thanks, James. It's been a really informative session. I appreciate all of your input there. Um, I don't know if we have time for a question or two, Hamish, or if we're going to leave that till the end.
1: One question is, um, what is the role of the psychologist in the initial assessment? Given the challenges of getting an appointment with a development paediatrician, would you recommend early psychology referral? There are some psychologists who, who have the qualifications uh, um, uh, to diagnose autism. Uh, the most commonly used tool um, to diagnose autism is ADOS, which is just a, um, a psychometric uh, tool. So, so um, there, are only, there are some psychologists who can do that, not all. Um, uh, sometimes that can be an alternative pathway to a paediatric or a psychiatrist diagnosis. Um, they psychologists can also be involved in multidisciplinary teams. Uh, the multidisciplinary team, the new diagnostic guidelines said that basically there's two levels. there's a single single clinician diagnosis um, that where it's the, the diagnosis is obvious you don't need to have a multidisciplinary team or or, or obviously not. Um, but when there's gray, the' multidisciplinary team and so but that of course, the access is a big issue. and And many of us can identify with autistic traits. How do you separate? Me. ASD from the normal spectrum of human behaviour. Is there a risk of defensive overdiagnosis and referral? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so there is the autism spectrum and there is autism spectrum disorder, which are two different things. Um, a lot of people are on the autism spectrum who do not have ASD. Uh, um, and you can have a, and even further than that, you can have autistic traits without being on the autism spectrum. Um, the autism has been de- described as extreme maleness by um, by uh, Professor Baron Cohen, who's a Professor of Autism at Cambridge, who's probably one of the leading lights in autism, um, where you think about the way that women and w- women and men or boys and girls are different, um, uh, that women are more generally more verbal, more social um, and can probably multitask a bit more and blokes are a bit quieter and focused more on, on single things. Take that to the extreme and you start getting restricted interests and, and social and communication deficits. So, um, yeah, so it's an interesting way of looking at it. But So you can have... You can have autism spectrum. So what is a D for disorder? And that can be culturally contextual. Uh, what holds you back in your society? So, so that's what you should be thinking of in terms of ASD. In terms of the negative diagnostic thing, um, I don't think that happens. It's the underdiagnosis that happens.
0: Thanks very much, Hamish, for those questions and to the floor for bringing those up. Um, thanks again, Jane.
1: The Good GP is produced and edited by the team at RACGPWA. If you've got any questions or would like to contact the Good GP, please feel free to email us at thegoodgpgmail.com. At Thanks for listening.